What's good everybody and welcome and a happy Thanksgiving to you and yours as we welcome you into another episode of the Amatelica TIS podcast with your host yours truly, Jai. Shields got a jam-packed show here for you on this Thanksgiving holiday. Hope you all are doing safe out there and uh, out there in the grand old uh, USA. Uh, recap the week 11 matchups because still got that on the board. Got plenty of things to say as far as week 11 and National Football League is concerned. Um, also, we'll uh, preview the three Thanksgiving uh, matchups that will take place on a Thanksgiving holiday. Not good games, but hey, football is football. You'll preview them nevertheless and um, give you my uh, two cents as far as uh, giving my two cents as far as uh, the New York football uh, Giants are concerned because they are an absolute complete utter disgrace and I also give my two cents uh, as far as the flexing issues with the uh, NFL as the uh, league came out with a couple of games that were flexing the prime time I give you my two cents on that as well but where we begin uh, is uh, with the uh, is with week eleven National Football League, and I tell you, one of the matchups I believe I either I believe I said it on the air. Um, I'm not positive, uh, but I think I did. Um, I said to you guys last time we chatted last week that the game that could be sneaky good uh, on Sunday would be Washington and Carolina. And you know, for Cam Newton, his home, his uh, you know, his homecoming, re-signing with the Panthers the previous week before, first his first home game, and you know, since Cam returned to the Carolina Panthers, and of course Ron Rivera, the Washington coach, who was the who was the head coach for the Carolina Panthers for quite some time, best coach that they've ever had, led them to a Super Bowl. And so on and so forth, and uh, and you thought that you know this is going to be a good game. Carolina sitting at five and five, Washington three and six, coming off of a fantastic, gutty, uh, win off of the uh, off of the Panthers division rival, Tampa at home the week before. So I had so yeah, at least I did. I had a feeling this is going to be a sneaky good uh, football game, and it had a lot of storylines and a lot of intrigue to it going in. But, uh, you know, how about Taylor Heineke, who has just done an absolutely phenomenal job for Washington um, in their victory 27-21 on Sunday. Um, racking, you know, going 16-22, throwing three touchdown passes in the game. An absolutely phenomenal job by he. Washington was able to run the football extremely well. Antonio Gibson, 19 carries, 95 yards. Uh, on the ground, the team on forty the, as a team on forty carries, they ran for they ran for one hundred and ninety yards throughout the entire game. Uh, this uh, this past Sunday, Terry McLaurin, you know, so, but you know, how about giving him some props? He's a big time wide receiver in this league. Five receptions, one hundred and three yards, and caught a touchdown pass. He was targeted seven times, caught five of the passes. An absolutely phenomenal job by him. And then you look on the Carolina side of things. You know, Cam Newton didn't play that bad. Only got sacked one time. He only, he only had six incompletions throughout the entire game, 21 to 27, threw for 189 yards, two touchdown passes in the game. Um, but and they and they were able to run the football, uh, you know, decently. Twenty one carries, one hundred eleven yards. Cam Newton ten carries, forty six yards rushing and a touchdown. Um, but you know, the bottom line is that is that uh, is that the Carolina Panthers defense could not uh, could not 
keep cannot get Taylor Heineke and Washington off the field. Um, he had a phenomenal drive there to be get you know in their response to uh, to Carolina's uh, opening drive touchdown. But when you look and you see that. Um, you look and you see that uh, Washington ruled in time of possession, had the ball 35 minutes, 53 seconds to Carolina's 24.07. And you look at the fact that, you know, on third down, Washington was 6 of 13 on third down throughout the game. Wa- uh, Carolina was 2 of 9. So so you, when it comes right down to it, Washington ruled in time of possession because of the fact that the Carolina Panthers cannot get Washington off the field in third down. And when, when Carolina themselves on the offensive side of the ball were facing third down, you know, they went two of nine. You know, seven out of the, seven out of the nine times they, uh, they, you know, broke out of the huddle on third down. It was three and out, 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 and so on and so forth. But give Taylor Heineke a ton of credit, you know, and dealing with all the storyline. You know, he wasn't the focus. No, you know, nobody heading into this game was talking about, you know, outside of Brendan and, and you diehard Washington fans out there. Nobody was talking about Taylor Heineke's, you know, 10 plus minute drive to put Brady and the Bucks away a week before. Everybody was talking about Cam Newton's back, the return of Cam. You know, homecoming for Cam, Ron Rivera's old coach, you know, coming he's coming back to Carolina too. So Rivera and Newton were the were the were the storyline were the were the storyline and the and the um and kind of like the uh, the advertisement piece, the advertisement motif to this game. It was Coach Ron Rivera and it was Cam Newton. And if you were and if you weren't interested in watching this football game because of the two teams that are playing in it, the, the Ron Rivera the Ron Rivera Cam Newton returning to Carolina storyline kind of drew you in if you if you weren't uh heading into this game planning on watching it. That that Rivera Newton storyline kind of draw you drew you in. And here nobody was talking about Taylor Heineke and the phenomenal job he did against uh Tampa the week before. And he comes into Carolina. Again, doesn't blow you away. He only threw for two hundred and six passing yards, but when you throw three touchdown passes in the game and only have six incompletions why do you need to throw for 415 yards if it's not necessary? If you're also able to run the football, you convert on third down, and you and you uh, and you kill the clock and take away clock uh, from, uh, and you keep Cam Newton on the sidelines for as long as possible. But give Washington and Rivera time. It's the funniest thing with Washington. They come out of the gate. They come out of the gate slow and lethargic. They stink. They lose the teams that they really. That they that that you'd expect they would beat their defense has has you know to begin the season has been absolutely putrid. Uh, it, it has been absolutely putrid, but you know it's improved as of late. They gave up uh, they gave up seventeen points. They gave up seventeen points to Denver. They gave up nineteen points to Tom. Uh, they did a, you know, they didn't let 21 points is 21 points, but it didn't let Carolina go crazy the week before. But it's so funny about Washington, you know, they fought around, you know, throughout September and October. And then once November hits, they get themselves together. And it's like, oh, crap, we actually still have it. We aren't dead yet. We actually still have a chance to make the playoffs. And then all of a sudden they wake up and they decide, oh, OK, let's uh, start playing the, the caliber football that uh, we have the ability of playing. Again, I told you guys last week, how Washington played against Tampa is how I expected them to play 
right from right from the opening game of the season against the Chargers, and uh, and I and, and I expected them to uh, win the division at ten and seven just based on how they played uh, in the Tampa game alone. Um, but you look at their schedule; they get Seattle on Monday Night Football. They're one and a half point favorite. Um, and then they go on the road to play Vegas. Home and they go on the road to play Vegas, and then after the Vegas game on December the fifth, it's all divisional opponents from December the twelfth to January 9th. Home against Dallas at Philadelphia at Dallas. Home against Philadelphia on the road against the Giants uh, to close out to close out the season. And as it stands now, now that game. Now the the NFL now they love for whatever the reason to give you the NFC East and try to tell you that the NFC East A is the best division in football which it isn't and B that everybody in America cares about the Dallas Cowboys and the NFC East if for if if the Cowboys have the collapse of the century and Washington goes on to uh, the next three games and goes on to beat Seattle Vegas and Dallas when they play them the first time on December the twelfth. You know, maybe NBC could keep that game in place. Uh, but uh, if you don't want to watch Washington-Dallas, here's what I suggest you do. You root for Dallas to essentially run the table the rest of the season. And you root for Washington to hit the wall and, and uh, you know, by Christmas time, be looking at a 4-8, and 4-9. And, and then, you know, and Dallas be... Uh, you know, on the lines of uh, ten and three, and hopeful, and hopefully uh, that that uh, Sunday night game the day after Christmas will get flexed. Uh, but if Washington is e- even not even think of think of it for the division, they will find excuses to show you Washington at Dallas. Dallas, Dallas, is, Dallas is going to get showed because they're a first place team, they're a perennial playoff team in the Dallas Cowboys. And they will stick with that game, even if Washington isn't competing for the division. If they're competing for the seventh seed, they'll still give you Washington at Dallas on Sunday Night Football. But anyway, uh, give Heineke and Washington credit. They've done a phenomenal job as of late. Game number two is, is the absolute insanity that was the, that was the Ravens and Bears game. I mean, you want to talk about it. It was a, first of all, it was, it, you know, did it lack offense? Yes, you know, not every football newsflash, guys. Not every football game you watch, the final score has got to be, uh, it's got to be, you know, uh, thirty-eight, thirty-five. Um, but, but uh, it was still, a, it was still a great football game. Uh, the Ravens, it was the Ravens' defense. Now, granted, they went up against Matt Nagy and the Bears, whose offensive line is much of turnstiles. So it's a, so so it's not exactly uh, they're not exactly going up against the uh, '98 Vikings, but they did a phenomenal job defensively. Uh, they only they only allowed one touchdown throughout the game, and that was the uh, or excuse me, two touchdowns in the game. Now the second touchdown that they let up, uh, the second one Andy Dalton threw. Uh, could have been the uh, could have been the coup de gras to them. It's, you know, shades of fourth and twelfth, week 17, 2017 season all over again, where Andy Dalton all of a sudden looks like a Hall of Fame quarterback against the Baltimore Raven defense. And on fourth and long, he hails a, a deep a deep vertical pattern uh, up the seam. 
and all of a sudden it's a goodbye, good night, and see you tomorrow for the Baltimore Ravens. You thought you would think that, and you would think that'd be the case. Oh, Andy Dalton! Oh, look at him—he got the Ravens again. And and the first and one of the first few passes that he threw coming into the game for the injured Justin Fields, who will not play on Thanksgiving with a rib injury. You know, he scores a touchdown pass, injects a little life into the Bears, and it's like, oh, holy crap! The Ravens actually have to score you know, a touchdown or two in order, in order for them to win this football game in what has been an absolute defensive field goal slugfest because the Bears' offense is inept. You know, get the Bears off my freaking TV screen. And then the Ravens, you know, had no uh, had no Lamar Jackson because he was dealing with bronchitis. And Tyler Huntley is a poor man's Lamar Jackson that somehow, some way, managed to get, to get sacked uh, six times throughout the game. Uh, but the Baltimore Ravens, you know, they never quit. They never die, you know. You gotta any single time you think that they're dead, you know. They they're like the Undertaker. They come up from that little coffin, and all of a sudden they're alive and full of energy. Huntley, who was absolutely pathetic all game long, you know, for about 58 minutes and 30 some odd seconds, all of a sudden looks like Lamar Jackson. And during the final drive of that football game. Finds a wide open Sammy Watkins where if he would have hit him earlier in his route, Watkins would have caught the ball and walked into the end zone, uh, you know, for a little bit more dramatic and flashier of a finish. Finds Sammy Watkins who sets him up inside the red zone. All of a sudden, hand the ball off to Devonta Freeman, and it's, uh, you know, Ravens win 16-13 against the Chicago Bears. And, you know, and if you're the Chicago Bears, you cannot under any circumstances. And I understand that the Ravens are world's be- are a world's better football team on paper in 2021 than the Chicago Bears are. But the Ravens are injured to hell and back. God knows how many players they have on IR. Lamar Jackson was not playing, was a last-second scratch because he, could, because he couldn't play because he had so much uh, phlegm and fluid in his chest dealing with a, dealing with a bronchitis virus. Taylor Huntley is a poor, you know, who, who's Taylor Huntley? What is he, Tyrod Taylor? Who, what? No, no way. And you and you allow Andy Dalton to come into the game, inject some life into an offense, and I love Justin Fields, but an offense that was, that was you know, that was like a dead deer on the side of a country road. He injects a little life into them offensively. Ravens, you know, take the lead back in the fourth quarter. And then all of a sudden, on a fourth and 11 play, and where the Ravens, I don't know how many times Wink Martindale is going to do this in order for him not to learn his lesson. We, we, he did this in the Raider game, and it, came, and, and it, and it bit him in the fanny about a dozen times in the Raider game, and they, and they lost on a game-winning touchdown uh, pass that Carr threw down the right sideline down the down the far sideline in the overtime, the opening game of the season, with these all-out blitzes, and there's essentially nobody left in the secondary to defend the deep vertical pass. I mean, it's it's the easiest trick in the it's the easiest trick in the book. You stack the box, you send the house, and and the quarterback knows he's got like a, a second and a half, two seconds even to get the ball out and make sure that his receiver's wide open, a little touch pass, and it's in uh, the and the receiver all you got to do is catch the ball and they walk. Walk into the end zone, and why Wink Martindale decided to call an all-out blitz in that situation on fourth and eleven, knowing that the Bears needed a big play and needed a uh, a deep ball from Andy Dalton to keep themselves alive in this game. I have no idea, you know. And Sandy doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results 
with Martindale and the Raven defense. But if you're the but if you're the Chicago Bears, you can under any circumstances. You know when you ha- when when you have a, such an emotional, dramatic play like that. When the Ravens, you know, who have not who, now granted again they've been injured, but when you have the Ravens down for the count, you got to finish them off. And when your defense played that phenomenal all game long, you cannot have it collapse in in the at the most inconvenient time. You know during the Ravens' uh, last gasp about that final drive of that game, and how Sammy Watkins gets that wide open. And I don't hear why they didn't have Khalil Mack. Nonsense. They kept the Ravens' offense in check for for about fifty eight for about fifty eight minutes and change. Finish the deal. Okay, last time I checked, the game is 60 minutes, not 58, 57, 59 minutes. You let Taylor Huntley, Tyler Huntley look like Lamar Jackson on the final drive when he was inept, inept for three-fourths of that football game. And why Matt Nagy still has a job heading into the Thanksgiving holiday, I'll never understand either. Because, because, that, because that, that is just coaching ineptitude at its finest. Your defense plays plays phenomenal for 58 minutes, and they collapse in the final two, it going up against a team that was that's that's injured to hell, and starting quarterback didn't play last second stri- last second scratch because he was injured. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, and how about we give Jonathan Taylor his flowers? You know, Derrick Henry. At, you know, Derrick Henry is the best running back in football. But you got to put a little asterisk next to it because, of course, he's hurt with a bad, with a uh, injured foot. Jonathan Taylor right now is the best running back in foot. Is the best healthy running back in football. I mean, the absolutely phenomenal and impressive performance that he put up in a stunning 41-15 blowout of the Indianapolis Colts. I mean, he scored five touchdowns in the, scored five touchdowns in the game, 32 carries, 185 yards on the ground, and was just absolutely sensational for Indianapolis. Uh, and it's about time everybody starts giving him his props as right now the best running back in football for the time being while Derrick Henry is out. Because he is, I mean, it's just absolutely, he single-handedly won that, along with the Colts' great defense, he single-handedly won that game for Indianapolis on Sunday. I mean, just an absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal job by uh, by uh, Jonathan Taylor and the crew. And give plenty of props to the Indianapolis Colts defense who held the Colts to 15 points and had and had Josh Allen looking like shades of... Uh, Look like shades of his rookie year. I mean, and 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 let's go down a list for Jonathan Taylor's last eight games: 114 yards, one touchdown; 169 yards, two touchdowns; uh, 158 yards, two touchdowns; 110 a touchdown; 122 a touchdown; 200 two touchdowns; 126 two touchdowns; 204 combined yardage altogether. Five combined touchdowns, four rushing and one receiving. I mean, Jonathan Taylor, I mean, he is a bad brother. My goodness gracious. And if the Indianapolis Colts, who looked like they were left for dead, uh, who looked like who were left for dead, I believe their record was about one and four, something along those lines, are all of a sudden six and five and a legitimate playoff threat as far as a wild card, you know, when it comes to being a wild card team in the AFC, you know, they have, uh, they've are right, they are riding currently a one, two, three, four, five, six game win streak. They have not lost a game in over a month. 
The last game they lost was a 35, was the 31-25 Monday Night Football overtime thriller in which they blew, I believe, an 18-point lead you know, to Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. They have not lost the game. They have not lost a game since then, and they have not lost a and they have not lost a home game since the 26th of September when they played Tennessee. Uh, when they played Tennessee, or check that, I believe I have that wrong. Uh, no, excuse me. They're right. They're currently riding a three-game win streak, and they have not lost the in the last home game they lost. Last game that they lost, the last home game that they lost was on Halloween, uh, the thirty-first of October. So I got that wrong. I apologize. But they've played absolutely phenomenal football. Their defense has, you know, kept the Buffalo in check. Buffalo throughout that game, you know, was not a fact. They can't. First of all, the glaring issue that you have with the Buffalo Bills is that is that they cannot run the ball. And you know, all teams that know that are are capable of making a stout playoff run have to be able to run the football. We know the Ravens can. We know we know the Ravens can. We know the Bucks can. The Packers can, even though they have you know, and these are teams with phenomenal quarterback play, which still gotta be able to run the football, especially in the cold December and January uh winter weather. The Packers know how to run the football. The the Rams know how to run the football. The Cleveland Browns know how to run the football. The Pittsburgh Steelers have to learn how to run the football if they want to make a playoff push. The Bengals, I'm not calling them a playoff team just yet, but if they were, you know, they know how to run the football with Joe Mixon. They exercised that on Sunday in their win against the Raiders. So teams that know how to make deep playoff runs have to and have to master the ability of running the Football and the Buffalo Bills do not do that because it's ninety five percent. Let it's the ninety. It's the Josh Allen show. The ball's in his hands all the time. He threw the you know threw thirty five passes, and it's not a championship recipe for success when Josh Allen is your second leading rusher with two carries and eighteen yards rushing on the ground. It's that's just not a recipe for success. And one issue that the Buffalo Bills have is that they pass the ball way too much. They're way too predictable. The ball is in Allen's hands way too much, and they do not have a running game. They they out of out of all of the you know the Titans know how to run the football obviously with a healthy Derrick Henry. Even the Colts, like I just mentioned with Jonathan Taylor, the stout playoff teams in both conferences have and they have in their repertoire the ability to pound the rock and run the football. And the Buffalo Bills are really the only perennial not even playoff team, but Super Bowl contender that that has glaring issues as far as their run game is concerned. And if they don't fix it, you know, Buffalo, I'm sorry, but it's going to be another year, another another year where you're not competing in a Super Bowl in another year where your uh Super Bowl less drought continues if if you guys aren't able to if you guys aren't able to uh to run the football properly I'm sorry um and not to mention the mistakes with fumbling the football and Josh Allen with the two interceptions and and, and just an absolutely sloppy performance on his part and then the Browns with uh Baker in this situation with Baker Mayfield Mayfield calling out the uh the Indianapolis not the Indianapolis the uh, Cleveland Brown fan base. Well, these are the same people that are making noise. You no know, more probably on the field. Hey Baker, 
First off, tell your wife to get the hell off of Instagram, please. You know, you got the you got your wife on Instagram throwing your teammates underneath the bus. Now, and, and I've been, I've you know recently I've turned the corner on Baker Mayfield, but you got to be honest, you got to call it like you see it. Baker Mayfield, and I understand he's been hurt, but Baker Mayfield, who isn't exactly Otto Graham or Bernie Kosar, look him up if you have no idea who those two quarterbacks are in the Cleveland Brown history. I get that and I understand that, and he's hurt and he deserves tremendous credit for not throwing in the towel and fighting every single week, playing injured with a, with a torn labrum and a bad knee and everything else. But if you're Baker Mayfield, you got to look yourself in the mirror because you were not bad. You were absolutely abysmal against Detroit on Sunday where you, know, where you guys should hit your knees and thank the good Lord. He should have hit his knees and thank the good Lord when he went to bed Sunday night that he had Nick, that he had a healthy, not just injury, but also COVID, uh, COVID-wise, a healthy Nick Chubb to give the ball off to for him to run for 130 yards on 22 carries because he was absolutely putrid against the Detroit Lions on Sunday. 15-29, 176 yards, a touchdown pass, and two interceptions. I mean, my goodness gracious, he looked awful against Detroit on Sunday. So, so if I'm Baker Mayfield, I tell your wife, hey, keep, keep your mouth shut. Get it off of Instagram. Don't be putting a target on my back and making things bigger than what they already are. Please, I don't need that right now. And if you're Baker Mayfield, you don't go out there and knock the fan base. The It's a long-suffering fan base. Went through 0-16. Many of many of first many of uh, first round draft pick busts. Many of busts that that they you know that didn't work out at the quarterback position. They've you know it's been a long time since they played last played in the AFC Championship game. They've never played in the Super Bowl, and this is one of the most story. Then these were one of the most storied franchises throughout the entire 1950s and 1960s, and they've done nothing but stunk for the better part of the last 20, 25 years or so. So, or not 25, because they technically were the Ravens in 1996, but you get the idea. A long-suffering fan base. You don't go out there. You don't go out there and 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 knock the fan base. Not not when not when you're playing this. Not when you're playing this poorly, and uh, and and you're supposed to be better than uh, than uh, than six and five and beating the and beating and beating the winless Detroit Lions by a field goal for the 2021 Cleveland Browns. Playing like that should be a thing of the past, not a thing of not a, not a thing of the current. I'm sorry. You, you, you got got to give us better better than this big room. You know, especially when you set the world on fire last year. Odell's gone, so you don't have to worry about him and the nonsense with his father and everything else. Play better. And if you're that hurt to the point where where your performance is uh, is holding back the team. Be a big boy about it. Go to Stefanski and say, "Hey, I am so injured right now that my play is is putting this team uh, in jeopardy of lose of uh, of missing the playoffs and you know and not winning the division and everything else." Put Case Keenum in. He's experienced. He's played in the NFC Championship game himself. He's got a little playoffs experience under his belt. He and Stefanski, you know, did magic up in uh, Minnesota during that uh, magical 2017 season for the Vikings. Put your ego aside. Bite the bullet. Swallow a little uh, nasty piece of humble pie. And if you're that injured, we'll see you in 2022.
Because as of right now, you know, Baker Mayfield is, is coming up in that conversation of the Kyler Murrays of the world, the Lamar Jacksons, you know, the next quarterbacks that are due up for the big-time contract extension. And I'm trying to tell you right now, I'm not sure if Baker Mayfield is, is worth it. Best best case scenario, they put the franchise tag on. But is but is he worth is he worth the next big time contract over the next ten years or so? As of right now, the answer to that question is a is a solid no. And the te- and the Houston Texans top stopped the Texans in their or the Houston Texans stopped the Tennessee Titans in their tracks. Uh, you know everybody else made a big deal about it. You lost to the Texans, Tyrod Taylor, everything else. You know. Uh, that I will give I, I will give the Tennessee Titans a bit of a break on that only because of the fact you know you, you know the uh, the cream would rise to the top as far as as far as the flaws of not having Derrick Henry on it's not as far as not having Derrick Henry uh, on their team so I you know and Tannehill first four interception game of his career he's played phenomenal the last couple of years you know they're due for a bad game. They are they are currently sitting at a first place in the AFC South and currently sitting uh, at eight. They had eight. They were eight and two heading into this game. You know, I understand. You know, don't let Kansas City get hot. But if push comes to shove, they do have the tiebreaker over Buffalo and over Kansas City. I understand it's also a bad look that the uh, you know that two out of the three teams that you've lost to have been the bottom dwellers in the AFC and the Texans and the Titans. And that's a real sour, stanky way for you to have a losing streak snap is to losing to the lowly Texans and having Tyrod Taylor look like Lamar Jackson. But hey, you know, you bite the bullet, you, you, you live and you learn, you move on and you get ready uh, and you get ready for your next game. That's uh, So I'm not going to overreact as far as the Titans losing to the Texans. You know, they, they're going to break the NFL record for the most players used uh, on a, a 53-man roster. No Derrick Henry. They played phenomenal football over the last month. They were due for a bad game. Does it look bad that it came against the Texans? Yes, but I'm not going to uh, go crazy and say, oh, the Titans are done, Titans are done, Titans are done. They go out there and they let in. They go. Let me, matter of fact, let me see who Tennessee plays uh, their next game in week 12. They play New England, which is a tough, which is a tough football game. So if they lose to New England, it won't be the end. Of, I'd, I'd worry if I was a Titans fan if they lost to New England. But if they go out there and they get smoked 35 to 7, then I'd start hitting the panic button. But until then, I'm going to lay low. And how about the Green Bay Packers? And uh, and uh, Minnesota Vikings thriller that was on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Valdez, you know Aaron Rodgers, you know, and you think, hey, don't leave too much time for Aaron Rodgers, but don't leave too much time for Kirk Cousins, who absolutely who did wonders marching down the field. Uh, first to throw the touchdown pass to Justin Jefferson to give him the lead late in the in the fourth quarter, and then all of a sudden here comes Aaron Rodgers, him the you know a pass to him to Valdez Scantling. And you know, I understand hindsight's twenty twenty, you know, but I wonder if Valdez Scantling would have, you know, fell down about like the ten or five yard line to allow uh to allow Green Bay to work the clock and melt the clock a little bit for the Vikings to use their timeouts and not score so quickly because then you give the Vikings the ball right back with less than two minutes for them to cart for them to chop up a game winning touchdown drive of the own and ended up uh you know working out to perfection. As the tennis, as the uh, Minnesota Vikings improved the five and five, 
and and beat the Green Bay Packers by the final score of 31, or excuse me, of 34-31, arguably the best game of Week 12 of the National Football League. Speak, or excuse me, uh, Week 11. Speaking of Week 11, we will continue with the Week 11 recap as well. Get to my Cincinnati Bengals coming up right after this. Welcome back to the I'm Telekatias podcast as the week 11 recap continues. The Kansas City Chiefs, you know, if you are a if you are a person that roots against the Kansas City Chiefs, plays the bet against Kansas City Chiefs, you're starting to sweat a little bit. They improved to 7 and 4 in their Sunday victory over the Dallas Cowboys by the final score of uh 19 to Nine, uh, and they're seven and four, and it's currently sitting in first place in the AFC West. First off, if you're a team in the AFC West, uh, I'll leave Denver out of it because nobody expected uh, Denver to be a, uh, a playoff team this year. But if you're the Vegas Raiders, if you're the uh, Los Angeles Chargers, you know, if Kansas City ends up stealing this division, it would be utter. It would would be pure theft if Kansas City ended up winning the division by the time the regular season dust settles. You have to be kicking yourself to allow Kansas City that defense was inept, offense was out of sync, couldn't score. They were undisciplined. They you know, many of the losses that they've had so far this season, it's been more about them beating themselves than them uh, really uh, looking looking like garbage uh, against their opponents. Mahomes turned over the football left and right. You know, Alaire with, Alaire with the fumbles and him being out prior to Sunday's game against Dallas. If you are the Raiders who are collapsing and the Chargers, you have to be kicking yourself if, the, if, you, if those two teams somehow allow Kansas City to win the division. There's still time. Kansas City, if you look at their remaining schedule the rest of the way, they got to play the Chargers one more time. They got to play Pittsburgh. They got to play my Cincinnati Bengals. And they do play De- and they do play uh, Denver twice. But if you, are the Ra- if you are the Raiders who are collapsing and the Chargers, you got to be kicking yourself for allowing Kansas City to essentially uh, fight their way and fight, scratch, and claw their way up from the abyss and find themselves at seven and four in first place in the AFC West. Uh, you know, and are the Chiefs back? My response after the Raider game was no, because it's the Raiders who the Bengals ended up beating the crap out of. We'll get to them in a we'll get to them in a bit. Um, so there. So my response after the Raider game were they back? The answer was 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 no. I got to see more. I got to see them go out there and dominate Dallas. Um, now my answer after the Dallas game are the Chiefs back? My answer would be yes, but not entirely. They are back as far as being a team to be reckoned with in the AFC West. They are back as far as a being a lock to make the playoffs, but they are not back 
as far as the as far as being a Super Bowl favorite is concerned coming out of the a, uh, coming out of the AFC. So they are back in the terms of they need to be taken seriously again and that they are a playoff team and they are a team that you that you have to get that you have to bring your A game in order to beat but they're not back as far as saying you know what AFC champions right then and there they are by far the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm not there yet. Why? Because their offense, because how, even though how great their defense played, their offense only put up 19 points, and and they, uh, you know, and they and they kick and they only kicked a field goal. The only points they got in the second half was a third quarter field goal. They were held scoreless. They were held scoreless in the fourth quarter, and combined they scored three points in the second half. That's not cha- that's not championship level football. From a team that has the full-on capability to score 50 points on a week-in, week-out basis. I'm sorry. Um, Mahomes wasn't necessarily fantastic in the game. Got sacked three times, threw an interception, 23 of 37, and then throw a touchdown pass. Um, and, and again, I'm still waiting for the return of Tyreek Hill. Nine receptions, 77 yards on, a le- on 11 targets is light work for him. Travis Kelsey, not that big of a factor. Five receptions, 74 yards. I'm, again, I'm still waiting for, you know, you saw a little bit from Kel- you saw it from Kelsey and Mahomes in the Raider game. But I'm waiting for Tyreek Hill to get that ability again. Where he single-handedly takes over football games. I, 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 it's been a long time since I've seen it. Even in the Raider game when they dropped forty-something points, I didn't, I didn't see it. I'm still waiting, and that, and the Kansas City Chiefs offense itself is not fully back, and I can't take Kansas City seriously as being a legitimate, serious, deathly threat in the AFC until I see Tyree Kill smoking defensive backs. You know, le- you know, giving him the deuces sign, running his way into the end zone and racking up 100, 100, 110, 120 receiving yards in his sleep. I still haven't, I still haven't seen that yet. And you know, and Mahomes playing pedestrian. You know, if they come playoff time, it's not going, it's not going to be good enough. You know, especially when they don't have, especially again, they don't, they don't have the tiebreakers against against Buffalo. They don't have the tiebreaker against Tennessee. They don't have the tiebreaker over Baltimore. So these are going to be, and I told you guys this before. Even if Kansas City, I told you guys this back back in October. Even if Kansas City somehow runs the table the rest of the way. It's their road to the Super Bowl is still not going to be easy because odds are they're going to have to play an extra playoff game in order just to get back to the Super Bowl. Because even though they can say, well, you know, October was October was October, September was September, we're a different football team now. The bottom line is that we still count the games you play in September, October, part of the uh, 2021 NFL regular season. And the bottom line, and you ha- and you play those games for a reason. So and Kansas City's going to be kicking themselves and is going to be saying, oh, "Why, you know, why are we playing on Wild Card Weekend? Why do we have to play, you know, two out of our potential if they make it back to AFC Championship game, two out of two out of our three playoff games on the road? We, well, you guys are going to, we guys are going to rue the day when you blew a double digit lead to the Ravens back in September. Clyde Edwards Laird with the fumble and Andy Reid getting getting cute once they passed the Ravens forty yard line on that Sunday night. You're going to." Rue the day when you, when you didn't even show up 
against Tennessee on October the 24th, and you're going to and you're really going to be kicking yourselves when you let Buffalo come into your building and absolutely punch you square in the face. So, so Kansas City, because of the hole that they dug themselves in earlier in the season, I'm not sure that even if they do run the table for sake of conversation. I'm not sure it's going. And by the way, they lost to the Chargers early on in early on in the season as well. And if and if they do beat the Chargers in Los Angeles, it's the 50-50 split, and not and they don't end up sweep and they don't end up sweeping them. Um, so if you're Kansas City, your road to get to Super Bowl is going to be a lot harder than it had, than it has been in years past. And with your offense still not playing. Up to snuff the way the way that it the way that it can you know they put up forty. I understand the Raiders stink, but they put up forty something points against the Raiders the week before, and a and a and a pedestrian nineteen against against the Cowboys and a Cowboys defense who was on the field a lot in the game, uh, a lot in the game on Sunday because their because their offense was absolutely inept. Prescott got sacked five times, two interceptions. Uh, you know the ball was in uh, the ball's in his hands way too. Much. I mean, I I don't understand the Dallas Cup. You're paying Ezekiel Elliott all this money, and he only got the ball nine times in the game. I mean, what 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 are we doing? And again, the final score deficit was ten points. So it wasn't like that you were playing from you know you were down fourteen, you were down seventeen, twenty one, twenty eight. 30-something points. The game was relatively... You didn't have an You didn't have a feeling Dallas was going to win the game because they were absolutely inept on offense, but they were but they were within striking distance, essentially, right from the opening kickoff. And I got Dak Prescott throwing the ball 43 times. I mean, Mike McCarthy, you have Zeke Elliott making all that money in the world. Run the football. Nothing good... How many times do I have to go through this? Nothing good comes out of your quarterback having to throw the ball... 30, 35, 40, 45, 50 some odd times in a football game. I don't care that you're playing from behind. Give Zeke the ball, pound the rock, work the clock, and and the defense eventually is going to get tired and it's going to set up the play action. It's going to set up the pass. And I, and I don't want to hear no excuse with no Amari Coop nonsense. Uh, also, Dak Prescott too, getting paid all getting paid all this money with the big time contract extension, and everybody makes him out to be Roger Staubach. Here's the bottom line about Dak Prescott and his career against teams that are above 500. His winning percentage is 394, 13 and 20. Against teams that are that are uh, that are at 500 at best or worse, 29 and 7, winning percentage of 806. So it's so Dak Prescott again, a player that, that that I think is overrated and not as good as everybody thinks he is, uh, wets the bed against top tier against top tier uh, playoff worthy uh, playoff worthy opponents, and you know and and people make Dak Prescott out to be uh, out to be uh, Troy Aikman. You can have him. Please, and I also don't need Dak Prescott. You know, look, look you know, ha- have a have a spine and have the cojones to sit up here and say, you know what? I understand I didn't do my job out there in the football field, but you know, we missed the Mari Cooper being out there today. Instead of sitting up here and saying, well, his choice is his choice. His choice is not his choice, Dak. You got million, we got millions of people dying over this disease, and it's not vaccinated. His choice is not his choice, my fanny. Get him vaccinated. He is vaccinated. Not would he not play Sunday? Fine, but he's probably suiting up against you guys in a game that you have to have against the Raiders on Thursday. Stop. 
I'm so sick of this. His choice is his choice. His selfish choice cost you guys the football game. You scored nine points. Shut up. God, he drives me crazy. Instead of sitting up here and appeasing whatever the hell he's appeasing, white people, Jerry Jones, I don't know. How about he sit up here and have the balls to sit up and say his high part should have gotten vaccinated? You're getting into the home stretch of 2021 season. Can't have your star key players make, make you know, one of the highest paid guys on the team, one of your best players on the team's skill position, miss some games because he's getting sick. Especially around the holiday season. But they're around people, they're indoors more because the weather's getting a little colder. You can't have that. How about that Prescott having the guts to sit up and tell the media, hey guys, you, you know what, uh, I, I, you know, Amari uh, Cooper, should, he should be vaccinated. Should be vaccinated. If he is vaccinated, if he would have been vaccinated, odds are, would he, you know, he could still have a breakthrough case, and it doesn't, and it doesn't guarantee that he would have played today. But we, but I, but he probably he'd be available for us to, for uh, for us to have him come our come the Raider game on Thanksgiving on Thursday afternoon. Instead of sitting there and say, "Well, it's his choice. I'm not going to do that." Garbage, garbage, and again. 8, 13, and 20 against, against 500 or better opponents. And people make Dak Prescott out to be the top five best quarterback in the NFL. You can have him. I'm sorry. You can have him. You can, you can have him. And with all due respect, I'm, I'm also a little getting sick and tired of people making it seem like, you know, that, that he went through the, that, 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 you know, that he got wounded in, in, the, in the heat of battle. At, uh, at Iwo Jima in World War II with the ankle injury. I understand it was a gruesome injury and everything else, and, and you know his brother committed suicide, and my God bless him, and heart goes out to him. But he's not the first player in the history of the sport, nor will he be the last coming off of a season-ending gruesome ankle injury. Wasn't like that he was, wound, he was wounded in the Battle of Armageddon. Take it easy, please. I, I, I am so sick of the Dak Prescott Dallas Cowboy nonsense, it, it, it drives me crazy. Um, but the Kansas City Chiefs, getting back to them, you know, they got to play a little bit better offensively for me to take them seriously. It may, oh wow, the Kansas City Chiefs are really truly back. But the defense has done an absolutely phenomenal job as of late. Give them all the give them all the credit in the world. You look at the last couple of games that the Kansas City Chiefs have played. They gave up nine points to Dallas on Sunday. And against Vegas, they gave up. Uh, and against Vegas, they gave up 14 points. Uh, a little asterisk next to the Green Bay game because they had Jordan Love. They gave up seven. Giants' offense is inept. They gave up 17. But you know, on paper, the Kansas City Chiefs' defense has played well since their 27 to three beatdown at Kansas City on the 24th of October, uh, about a, mo- a month ago. Uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact. Um, and then the and then the Seattle Seahawks are officially done. They're cooked. They're finished. Uh, enough of them. Uh, Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson, uh, goodbye, good night, see ya. You know when you get good again. Uh, you know and uh, and I told you guys last week. I say it again. You know I, Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll are just as much to blame for the Seahawks woes. Um, but how about John Schneider getting a little bit of the heat? You know for uh, trade for that for that abysmal trade. You know, trading your first-round draft capital for Jamal Adams, who stinks. 
why they made that trade, I have no idea. Why they gave Chris Carson that big-time extension when he's out for the season with a bad neck who's always hurt, and he, and he is one of the worst running backs in the sport. I will never understand that philosophy either. Uh, your offensive line is deteriorating. Your defense, your defense, albeit they've played, they've played better as far as points allowed is concerned, but they allow way too many yards and way too many uh, big plays. You know, for you know, for an NFL defense, for a perennial, or at least I thought a perennial uh, playoff contending team, way too they gave up, they give up way too many yards, way too many big plays. Uh, they they got Bobby Wag they got Bobby Wagner at linebacker and that's it. Their secondary is garbage. Uh, their pass rush is not that great. Uh, it's just you know you got you, you you expect better from a Seattle Seahawks team. I mean you you just, you, you just do. Colt McCoy's only sacked twice in this game. Threw for three hundred and twenty eight yards and two touchdown passes. Uh, I mean you got you got to be better than that. You know, and and the Seahawks have also been abysmal at home, one and four this season uh, at uh, Quest Field uh, or uh, Lumen, whatever they call it, uh, up in the Great Northwest, and they're three and seven on the season. And Russell Wilson, you know, he he may never admit this, but I I'm willing to bet that he's probably not fully healthy, uh, and that that finger is is fully not is 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 not fully healed. And you know it was the last gasp effort to save the Seattle Seahawks season because he knows that they that they that they are dead in the water with Geno Smith. So he'll you know, and I give him credit for doing so. But I he'll and I don't think he'll ever admit this. But behind closed doors, he knows that that finger isn't exactly where it should be. If he you know was resting the full six to eight weeks like the doctor uh, like the doctors told him when he uh, when he hurt his uh, when he hurt his finger. In the second, no, the first uh, Thursday of the month of October against the Rams on that Thursday night, um, but the but the Seattle Seahawks have finished. Pete Carroll's done. Wilson's done. Uh, Jamal Adams, I mean, enough of him. You know, he, who does absolutely nothing for them in the secondary. One of the more overrated players uh, in all of football, making all that money. You know, he should be arrested for theft. He's he, he's that bad. Uh, goodbye to him, John Schneider. Goodbye to him. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks are reeling. They're done. They're cooked. They're finished. Um, that is item number two here in the segment. And of course, you have my Cincinnati Bengals, who have just who have just been, you know, I, I don't know with, with them. You know, as as a Bengals fan this season, you you be in a state of mind where outside of game days, you you have to you kind of have to not you not have you. Have to have the attitude where you don't care and you just have to like not try. You can't get too low. You can't get too down. You just got got to be neutral. You know, outside of game days. Game days, you you know, I root. You go crazy. I ah, we're the greatest team. We're going to the playoffs, win the division. You know, all breaks right. We go to Super Bowl. G- game days only. Outside of game days, you kind of have to have like a mellow tone. It is a monotone. Excuse me. Mellow, it is what it is kind of mentality with this football team because you get too because you get too low on them. They go out there on game days and they look like a team that you know that should be favored to go to Super Bowl. And then you get too high on them, they crap the bed. The defense stinks. Can't generate a pass rush. Can't run the football. Burrow's turn over the football left and right, and it's like holy crap, this team stinks again. So you kind of have to, it's, you know, it's finding that happy medium. But you know the Bengals. They did a phenomenal job against the Raiders. Again, this was a game that they absolutely had to have. 
uh, they had to have this game going in. Uh, coming off the back-to-back losses, they had not won a game since the 24th of October, going on a month at the time uh, when they played the Ravens in Baltimore. You know, the bye week, losing back-to-back games, you know, to the Jets and getting stomped by the Browns at home. This is a game that the Bengals absolutely had to have. And I thought it was like, oh, here we go again. And when the opening drive, Joe Burrow fumbled. Uh, the opening drive, Joe Burrow fumbled. That set up the Raiders with excellent field position to begin the game early in the first quarter. But, you know, I didn't see it at the time. But it's funny. It's funny. And I know hindsight's twenty twenty. But in retrospect, you know, that the, the holding the holding the Raiders to a field goal after that Burrow sack fumble, you know, it showed signs of promise throughout that football game. And it was after that fumble where Joe Burrow played an, played a perfect, excellent game uh, from there on. Now only nine incompletions. He was twenty or twenty nine. If you had him on his fan, had him on your fantasy team, it didn't necessarily do you tremendous favors. Uh, but he threw for one hundred and forty eight yards, a touchdown, and but he didn't he didn't throw any interceptions. So that's good. I believe that was his first interceptionless game since week four, I believe. Uh, he, you know, he got sacked three times. The one, the other, you know, if I'm nitpicking, you know, so be it. But the one thing I, I'd like bro to do differently is that too many times where the play breaks down, either receiver is an open, he don't want to throw an interception, whatever it is, where he's trying to keep the play alive to allow his receivers to get open more. And rather than either tucking it, tucking it and running or getting rid of it by throwing it away, he holds on to the ball way too long and allows himself, to, and he allows himself to take unnecessary sacks. You know, one one too many times. I understand that the Bengals' offensive line, you know, it's not the Hogs of the 1990s Redskins teams, and it's not exactly the group of turnstiles that we saw last year. But you know, it, it, it's it's pedestrian. It's average at best. And, an av- and a way to make an average at best offensive line look great is getting the, is getting the ball out of your hands quick, fast, and in a hurry at, at the drop of the hat. And you can't, and you know, and you expose the 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 averageness of the offensive line holding on to the ball, holding on to the ball too long. If the play is not there, if the receivers are not open, you know, and if you and if you're not in a situation where you can't tuck it and run for a couple of yards, throw the ball away. And you also make me very nervous and apprehensive, you know, because you got to deal with the, because the sight of him going down with that ACL and MCL tear at Washington last November is forever etched in every single Bengals fan's mind from at the time it happened, you know, until the day we die. It is forever ingrained into our memory of seeing Burrow on that on that uh, on that cart rolling out of an empty FedEx field with uh, with Chase with uh, Chase Young dapping him up and giving him a hug on his way on his way off the field. That's forever ingrained in our memory. And and uh, if psychologically, I I don't feel I, it always makes me cringe and I always queeze any single time I see him get sacked, especially if it's a swarm of players around him where there's a possibility he could get tangled up. So if the one pet peeve I do have about Joe is the fact that he holds on to the ball a little too long for my liking. If the play is not there, and if their secondary has all of your receiving targets locked up, throw the ball away. You do yourself a ton of favors. If the play is not there, you just chuck it towards the sideline. Instead of holding on to the ball, waiting for them to get open. Meanwhile, you can't move, and all of a sudden you get sacked. And that's also how you cut down on what happened to be on your opening drive 
of the uh, of the of the sack strip fumble because you do it you know you go you do that against Baltimore you do it against Kansas City hell you do it against Pittsburgh they're gonna make you pay you do it against you do it against the Chargers in two weeks they're gonna make you pay won't be the Raiders you know who are who are collapsing before our very eyes once again kick a field goal off of that no 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 Kansas City will make you pay Mahomes right down the field him and Kelsey for four about fifteen yards. Touchdown, Kansas City, and you're down seven nothing before you bat nine. And against teams like that, you you can't afford to make those mistakes. But uh, they had a phenomenal game, and it's also a phenomenal. This is why the point I made about the Cowboys, you know, the ability to run the football well and not have the and not have the ball in your quarterback's hands ninety percent of the time. Same thing about Buffalo. This is something that Buffalo needs to take a page out of. Not having the ball in your quarterback's hands. You know, 95% of the time. Spread the wealth a little bit. Open up the run game. And if it's set up the play action. And they did exactly that. Joe Mixon, in his best performance of the season by far, 30 carries, 123 yards on the ground, two touchdowns in the game. Just an absolutely phenomenal job. They let they let the run game do the work. They let Joe Mixon they let Joe Mixon go out there and hunt, and they took the pressure and they took the pressure off of Burrow, which is something that coming out of the bye week, coming off of back back losses where he's not played great in and turning over the football a ton, that was an absolute recipe for success. And give the OC and give Zach Taylor a ton a ton of credit. That was an excellent game plan. Getting you know, Burrow. You're not going to win this game for us, you know. When, when we need you to make plays, we'll have you make you know, we'll have you make the plays because that's what you're here to do. But our goal is to let Joe Mixon work, work the clock, control time of possession, and let Joe Mixon go out there and do his thing. And and they executed that game plan to a T. Now early on, I was like, "Why are we still running the football?" You know, we it's obvious that that run game's not working. They're stopping the run. But as Zach Taylor said, you know, as Zach Taylor said during the post game. The the plan was if the if the game if the game plan doesn't work initially out the gate, keep the faith, stick with it because eventually, in quoting him, the dam is going to break. And the dam ended up breaking as Joe Mixon had a phenomenal game. And you know, thank God, yours truly isn't a head coach because I would have abandoned the run right in the first quarter, and who knows how the rest of the game would have been. And you know, and they also knew that the Raiders' defense was going to make sure to take away the big play, so he wouldn't, you know, the deep passes to Jamar Chase down the sideline was a thing of the past. Which also I found to be an encouraging sight, because shown size maturity over the last couple of games throughout the bye week of how the Bengals' offense, you know, had the, you know, and Burrow was force feeding Jamar Chase the ball, trying to force the big play instead of letting the big play happen and taking what the defense gives you, and taking what the defense gave him was eventually the, their defense is going to wear down and you just give Joe Mixon the football. And when you, you, know, when you have the, and when it, and when the, you know, on third and longs or in the red zone when you need to score, you put the ball in Burrow's hands and, you know, and he'll find a way to find um, you know, Jamar Chase in the back left corner of the end zone for a touchdown and the Bengals win the game 32-13. Uh, uh, let's see. And also you got to give credit to the defense with strong defensive play as well, you know they were they have been absolutely abysmal since the Raven since the Raven game when they only allowed 17 points to Lamar Jackson and company. Mike White dropped 34 points on them. Drop uh, they got dropped uh, 30 some. Uh, you won't you know it won't include the fourth the full 41 because Denzel Ward's pick six. But they also allowed 30 plus points against Cleveland the game after. 
And uh, I understand Vegas, you know, collapsing. No Henry Ruggs because of the drunk driving mess. But they, but they held the Raiders' offense in check, giving up 13 points. And if they can perform like that against Pittsburgh, the Chargers, and really show me teeth and shut down Kansas City, you know, maybe that top 10 Bengals defense, you know, who had a little lapse over the over uh, over a course of two games, but maybe that top 10 Bengal defense is back after all. If they go out there the rest of the season and hold their opponents in check. Phenomenal uh, pass rush. They, you know, Trey Hendrickson got the sack, strip sack by him when they needed it the most. That was the final coup de gras to the uh, game on Sunday afternoon. Um, just, you know, strong defensive play. And, you know, have your defense hold your opponents in check and only allow them to score 13 points, good things going to happen. You know? and, it, and a phenomenal job by them. They didn't get pissed off. They didn't get frustrated at all. You know, oh, my goodness, opening drive. We turn over the football. Can't, you know, the Raiders have an opportunity to go out here and score early in the game. We shouldn't be on the field this early yet. You know, we got the ball to begin the game. Blah, blah, you know, they could have did that. But you know what? They put their head down, kept their mouth shut, went out there, took, took care of and handled business. And the uh, and the Vegas uh, and the Vegas Raiders coming off of the uh, Burrow, you know Burrow, the Burrow uh, fumble, they went out there and they, was, and, they, and they kicked the field goal. So a phenomenal job by the defense. Also a good job by Zach Taylor who did a phenomenal. Yeah, there was a, a well coached and a great game by Zach. You know I'm on him a lot. Gave giving him a ton of crap over the years. I got to give him credit where credit is due. Phenomenal offensive game plan and an excellent job by him. Uh, challenging that 12 men on the on the field penalty for the Raiders, which ended up to be uh, beneficial to Cincinnati and costly to the Raiders. And only had one penalty all game long, came with about five minutes and change left in the fourth quarter. That was a neutral zone infraction penalty. But the Bengals were were you know had were buttoned up. They were disciplined outside of the bro fumble. They did not beat themselves. And again, if you look at penalty wise, the Bengals had one penalty for five yards. Raiders seven penalties for seventy seven yards, and a lot of them were defensive penalties, which kept drives alive for Cincinnati. You know when they were still trying to find their way throughout the course of the game. So the, 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 they 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 played as good of a game. At, you know the best game that nah, duh because it was the last time that they won. But the best game I've seen the Bengals play since the Raven game, where they were buttoned up, they didn't beat them outside of the bro turnover. They didn't beat themselves. Didn't turn over the football a whole a whole hell of a lot. Uh, bro made plays with his arm in which they needed to be played. A timely touchdown catch by Jamar Chase. Uh, they were able to run the football tremendously well, and uh, again, one penalty until late in the fourth quarter, and by that time it was inconsequential because the game was out of reach and the game had already, you know, had been won at that point and taking advantage of the Raiders' mistakes. Um, and it's funny, you know, the one penalty that they allow you to challenge in the NFL is 12 men. Zach Taylor had a wherewithal to do that and it ended up working out to their benefit. Um and then, of course, you have the uh, Chargers, and then, of course, you have the Chargers and the Steelers on Sunday night, a game that looked like it was going to be an absolute rout, and then the Los Angeles, and then the Chargers do what they do best, and that's choke and blow leads, and 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 you know, and blow football games in in a hor- in horrifying fashion. If you're a Charger fan, you know, like that old adage, you can take the Chargers out of San Diego, but you can't take the San Diego out of the Chargers. Um, as they as they as they allowed Pittsburgh, who was dead in the water and ebbed offensively, scored scored and put up a f- big fat goose egg in the third quarter. Had uh, only scored ten points in the first half, allowed Pittsburgh to go off for. 
27 fourth quarter points, including a block punt, which really was the catalyst of the comeback that almost was uh, in the Pittsburgh early in the uh, early in the uh, fourth quarter throughout that game. That blocked punt, uh, you know, give the ball to Najee. The play calling for uh, Pittsburgh, I just I don't understand. Ben Roethlisberger throwing the football 44 times. When you got Najee Harris, your first round, dra- your your first round draft pick, a running back who who you know who all intents and purposes could have won the Heisman Trophy at Alabama last year. First round draft pick, you pass on building up your offensive line to get him, uh, and it was a highly critiqued draft pick, but you got him nevertheless. Uh, one of the best, uh, one of the best rookie talents coming out of the coming out of this past year's draft, other than uh, Mac Jones and Jamar Chase, that are that are really like your one that are really uh, your one two punch, and uh, and also uh, Travion Diggs. I mean, use them throwing the football forty four times. With now, I understand that's one of the best games really that I've seen Ben Roethlisberger play in a long time, but still throwing the football forty four times, really. Got Najee, especially in the red zone, we got Najee Harris sitting there. Run the ball. But the Chargers escape, beating uh, Pittsburgh 41 uh, beating uh, the Pittsburgh 41 37. And a phenomenal uh, throw and catch, Justin Herbert and Mike Williams, which ended up giving the Chargers the lead in a Steelers secondary. That you know did a good job keeping Pittsburgh in the game, but when they needed, but when they needed to stop the most, they uh, you know it wasn't there, and it was really honestly like that. It was Cam Hayward was the was the best defensive player on the field, uh, and that was a dirty play with him trying to punch Herbert. I mean, my goodness, I mean, can we clean it up a little bit with Pittsburgh? But that's that's typical Pittsburgh Steeler football for you, and not a hand over there. But it was, you know, Cam Hayward was the best defensive player on the field. They had no Minka, they had no T.J. Watt. Under, understandable, but I mean, defense has got to play has got to play better than that. I'm sorry, um, but uh, the Chargers escape uh, with a fourth a 41-37 victory, and uh, that's all she wrote at uh, Inglewood on Sunday night. Take a break. I will get to the uh, I will get to the Monday night game. Give you my two cents on the Giants and look ahead to the Thanksgiving football games coming up right after this. Welcome back to the I'm Telling Italians podcast. Before I get to the Giants, just to give you a couple of stats to throw at you. Jonathan Taylor, third player ever with 100-plus scrimmage yards and a rushing touchdown in eight straight games. I went through that list back in the opening monologue. He joins Hall of Famer, the LT, and when he did in 2006, and Lydell Mitchell, he did in 1975-1976. 
uh, as to do that. And LT, the only other player other than Jonathan Taylor to do it uh, in a single NFL season. Eckler, four, four total touchdowns in that Charger win. After Jonathan Taylor had his five, that's the seventh time since 1950 that multiple players scored four or more touchdowns in the same day. Last time it happened was in 07 when Randy Moss and Terrell Owens did it in the same day. Eckler's second player since the 70 merged with at least six rushing and six receiving touchdowns through his team's first 10 games. Kareem Hunt did that for the 18 Chiefs. Uh, Cardinals are undefeated on the road. All those wins coming by double digits. 14 NFL history went six straight on the road by double digits within a season. And 13 to do that in their first six road games. Uh, let's see, anything else? Anything else? Bengals there, 32-13, went over the Raiders. Marked the third time this season that the Bengals allowed less than 14 points in the game. That's the most in such games since 2016. Give the Bengals defense some more flowers on that end. And then it comes to the New York football giants, who are the literal worst and absolute waste of my freaking time. The New York football giants are the literal worst. They are uninspiring. They are boring. They are lethargic. They are a waste of my freaking time. They are not a good football. I mean, they, they're just, they're, they're bad. They're bad. And Daniel Jones plays uninspiring football. He does not motive. He does not motivate you. He does not light a spark underneath the steam. It's just, I and I'm also sick and tired of watching the Giants play on prime time too. And and I can't stand it. And the, and the NFL does this all the time with the Bears, and it pisses me off. I don't care where the team plays. I don't care about the market size where the team plays. I don't care about the TV regs and the individual market where the team plays. I could give two craps where a team plays. Okay, they show the Green Bay Packers a ton on television. And rightfully so. They show the Green Bay Packers a ton on television. You know how big Green Bay, Wisconsin is? It's not that big. Okay? They show the the Buffalo Bills are playing on Thanksgiving at night. You know, you know how big Buffalo, New York is? I don't care about market size. I care about the quality. You know how big Vegas is? It's, the, it's you know for all of the uh, for all of the 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 lavishes and the and and the ooh ah effect that Vegas has. It's not a big city. Not a big city. Raiders playing on Thanksgiving as well. So I don't care about how big. The market size of the city and the cachet of the city that the team plays in. I don't care about that. I don't get too wrapped up in that. If a team is good, and if a team has superstars on it, I want to watch them play. I don't care if they play in Chicago, New York, Jersey, Vegas, Green Bay, Wisconsin, uh, Buffalo, New York, uh, Annapolis, Maryland. I, I don't care. San Bernardino, California. I don't care. Where the where the team where the team plays their games. I don't care. All I care about is is if you put them on television, if they're good or not, and if there's a player or two or three or four or five on that team that I that I want to see when I watch them play. That's all I care about. I don't care where a team plays. Could care less. I don't care. Kansas City Chiefs could play in Kansas City, Kansas, or Kansas City, Missouri, or in St. Louis for all I care. I don't care. I care about are they a good football team and do they have superstar slash entertaining players on their roster that I will enjoy watching play? 
That's what I care about. And the New York football giants do not have that. They do not, they are not a good football team, and they don't have players on that team that you would voluntarily want to sit in front of a TV for three hours to watch them at their craft. They don't have that. Saquon Barkley is always, 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 always injured. A shell of himself had no business being picked earlier in the draft when he was by the Giants a few years ago. So he doesn't count. The quarterback stinks. Kyle Rudolph is uh, is a shell of himself. He's old. He's on the back end. He's on the back nine of his career. No wide receivers. Canada, Kenny Galladay, uh-uh, no thank you. Uh, Kadarius Tony, maybe in the next few years. They got nobody on defense. The team is boring. They're lethargic. They're undisciplined. They're not buttoned up, and they stink. And I don't care Excuse me, about the fact that they play in New York. Hell, they don't even play in New York City. They play in Jersey. They represent New York City. What? I don't care. Same reason for the Bears. I'll say it again. I don't care where the team plays and the market size. And the thing the NFL gets too caught up in when they make, when they make these schedules for the national time, they get too caught up in on the ratings. Where can we go to get the biggest rating? Or can we, you know, what little niche can we hit so we make sure we get the highest rating possible? That's why the that's why the farce with putting Kansas City and Denver on Sunday night next weekend pisses me off, which I'll get to uh, in a later episode. It's why why the hell it bothers me. Instead of worrying about putting the best product on the field and making sure that the football fan is is entertained. And is, is entertained with the best team, with the best players, and the best matchup out there for the whole country to see. They get too caught up in trying to press the little buttons to make sure that to make sure that they get themselves a little that their rating is is higher, you know, by 0.5 percent because you know well, we put the put the we got to put the Giants on on Monday night. On Monday Night Football a couple times because it's New York City. We got to put the Chiefs on Sunday Night Football a bunch, even when they're playing lousy. Uh, even when they're playing lousy opponents, because it's, because it's the Chiefs and and Patrick Mahomes and Kelsey and Matthew and Tyreek Hill and Andy Reid. Instead of instead of worrying about giving giving the 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 public a good game, a competitive game with good teams, they try to. Hit and 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 make sure that every that every you know thing is checked off on their checklist and try to hit every little button to make sure they get the highest rating possible. Well, newsflash, guys! America doesn't want to watch the New York Football Giants on Monday Night Football in 2021. Okay, I, I, if I wanted to, I'm not going to, but I could go through the schedule of Monday Night games you guys have this season. And I could find you, I guarantee you, I could find you a team that the Giants have more Monday football appearances than and the team that has less Monday football appearances this season than the Giants do are a much better team and a much more watchable, enjoyable, entertaining team to watch than the New York football Giants. Stop getting so caught up in market size and market value and ratings and all this other nonsense. You're going to get a good rating anyway because you're the National Football League. Okay, your regular season games do better than game two, three, four, and five of the World Series. 
Your regular season games do better than NBA playoff games on TNT. You what you that that's that's autumn being number one in the ratings is automatic for you guys at this point. You're going to get a good rating anyway, so you might as well give America your best product. And the lowly Giants against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is not good television. I'm sorry. That should have been that should have been the 405 game buried on Fox on Sunday afternoon. Or the one o'clock game somewhere. Just be okay. You have one Super Bowl contender where it has that has a bunch of stars on it. The game is not worth being on national television if a hundred percent of the firepower of this matchup is on one team. Is on one team. Same thing with Denver and Kansas City, on one team, Kansas City. All all the attention is on Kansas City because they're the ones that has all the entertaining the entertaining guys that you want to watch play, and nobody on Denver. And the bottom line is is that this is that the New York Football Giants stink. They've made the playoffs one time since their 2011 Super Bowl season ten years ago, one time. And they lost to the Packers. Under Jason Garrett's watch. And I'll get to that situation in a minute. The Giants are 28th in the league in yards per play at 5. They are 30th in points per game at 17. They were 31st in yard offensive yardage per game at 308. And 31st in the league at third down percentage at 37%. And during Jason Garrett's tenure as offensive coordinator, the Giants had never, never scored 30 or more points. Never. And another thing, Joe Judge, you know, who is a, who is a, if, if, if Keyshawn Johnson wants to talk about a used car salesman, Joe Judge is it. I know he's got a bug up his fan about John Gruden, but how about you throw uh, Joe Judge into that equation? A coach that, that did nothing, nothing, but, but, but make points talking about, Make it accountability. We're not going to beat ourselves, and a huge old rah-rah speech as if again the Nick Saban, the Nick Saban Bill Belichick hybrid, which he is not. He's going to sit up here and talk about accountability, this, that, and the other. When he got up there in the post game, in which his team was absolutely inept, inept on Monday night, and he threw Jason Garrett under the bus to save his own hide. I mean, really. Mr. Accountability. Now I understand. Now, now no one's gonna gonna go fighting for Jason Garrett. I understand that he stinks. He has no business being a being a coach of any kind in the National Football League. I, I I think that's clear and obvious to anybody. But the buck stops with you. You hired him, and you're the head coach. The buck stops with you. How about take a little bit of your own advice, Joe Judge, and have and, and have the cojones to, to put the, to put the, to, as as Jim Fossil used to say back in the day, God rest his soul. You can you can you can put you can put the uh, you can put the laser on my chest. I'll take full responsibility of this. I'm the head coach. I'm the fo- I, I'm I'm the leader of this football team. I hired him. He's on my staff. I'm the head guy. Put it on me. Have at least have the courage. The manhood, the cojones, to put your big boy pants on and have the boss to take forward and to raise your right hand and take full responsibility of this instead of sending, instead of throwing 
uh, Jason Garrett out to the wolves and throwing him under under the bus like that. You're the head coach who did nothing but preach about accountability. We're not going to beat ourselves. We're going to be a disciplined football team. And you run and you run your football team as if you're a Joe Sergeant up at West Point, and your football team was one of the worst in the NFL over the last five years. One of the worst. You run your team as if as if they're a bunch of privates up at West Point, and your football team stinks. Undisciplined penalties. Your offense is garbage. You're boring, uninspiring quarterback play from from Daniel Jones, who had zero business getting picked in the in, with the sixth overall pick, whatever he was, and a draft a couple of years ago by Gettleman. Everything. Garbage. GM. Garbage. Head coach. Garbage. Quarterback. Garbage. Ownership. You know, instead of Mara being so, you know, with, with, his, with, his, with his booty hole in a, in a twist about the, about the stupid taunting penalties, how about John Mara, you know, in, in between his little strip cocktail and, you know, during his Thanksgiving dinner tonight, how about, how about John Mara for once? For once, look, instead of worrying about stuff that he has no control over, and he has and and, and that's and stuff that's quite frankly out of out of his business and out of his control, instead of worrying about the taunting penalties, Mara, how about you look yourself in the mirror and say, you know what, my, my is, put the historical stuff aside, the stuff that your father, your grandfather did with the with the with the Mara family. Forget all that. Forget about what you did in the in the fifties. And in the 60s. And in the 80s and early 90s with Parcells. Forget that. Look yourself in the mirror and for once, man, you know what? My football team stinks. I'm the owner. I'm the head guy. The buck stops with me. Instead of passing the buck and, and acting like everything's all peaches and cream when it's obvious to everyone in America that it's not. Because your football team is garbage. It stinks. They are offensive to the senses to watch. They're a waste of my time. Get the get the Bears off my TV. Giants, you're added to that list. Get the New York football Giants off my TV. I don't want to see them play on national television anymore. Not Thursday night, not Monday night. They stink, they're garbage, and they are offensive to the senses to watch play. They have no offense, they're undisciplined, and their head coach is a fraud. All this talk about accountability, and he throws Jason Garrett under the bus. And this team is and this team is one of the worst teams in all of football over the last five-year period. They've made the playoffs one time, and they lost that playoff game and that one fluky season with McAdoo since their 2011 championship. They stink, and I could care less about 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 the about the history. And, and, the, and the great successes of the New York Giants of the past under Mara's father's and grandfather's regime. I could care less. I do not care. All that stuff. Parcells, OT, Carl Banks, Phil Sims, Jeff Hotstetler, Frank Gifford. Not interested. Not interested. Sports is a, how many times do I have to say this? Sports is a what have you done for me lately type of business. Nobody cares about the 2011 championship, the 27, the 2007 championship, 86, 86, 90, and the championships you won back in the 50s and the 60s. Nobody cares. You're the New York football giants. 
one of the staples of the National Football League, one of the oldest teams in the National Football League. You know how the NHL has the original six? The New York Football Giants one of those are, are one of the league's original teams, one of the oldest in the sport, with all the franchise and all the history. And they are one of the worst teams in the NFL. They are in Cleveland Brown, New York Jet territory. They're so bad. They're boring and they're lethargic to watch play. And I'm sick of looking at them every single time the NFL shoves them down our throat and puts them on Monday Night Football. News flash, Goodell. Nobody wants to watch Daniel Jones play the quarterback position. He stinks, he's uninspiring, and he turns over the, and he turns over the football more, t- more times than Hollywood, ce- than Hollywood celebrities jump in and out of each other's bedrooms. I'm sick of it. I'm sick and tired of the rah-rah, fake, fraudulent Mr. Tough Guy act from Joe Judge. I told, you, I told you all this, excuse the banging, I told you guys this back in August, and I'll say it again. I could care less about, about him riding Belichick and Saban's coattails. Could care less. Joe Judge is a fraud, and he is one of the worst coaches in all of football. He makes, he makes Zach Taylor out to be Paul Brown. Sam White's got to rest his soul for crying out loud. With the, with, with, the, with, the fake, with the fake 1980s high school football coach mentality. You can take that mentality and stick it where the sun don't shine. Because he is a fraud and he stinks. All talk about accountability and he throws Jason Garrett out to the wolves. Now, now I get it. Jason Garrett is, 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 not, is not Lombardi. I get it. And he has no business being a, being a coach of any kind of National Football League. But that is weak. Pathetic, lowly, and a crock of crap. Enough. I'm sick of it. Enough. Back to preview the Thanksgiving games coming up right after this. Welcome back to the I'm Telling TIS podcast. Looking forward to this uh, slate of Thanksgiving Day games, uh, you know, which are not great. You know, Bears and Lions. I mean, it's uh, here. Here's. Real quick, here's how I, if I uh, had a, was employed by the league up at Park Avenue, here's how I would fix Thanksgiving uh, as far as making the games better. First off, I think, and unless you're a Detroit fan, uh, you think otherwise, um, it's time to get the uh, to get the Lions off of Thanksgiving. I understand that they started the tradition. That, you know, sold the new ownership. It was an idea for them to get more exposure and to kind of, you know, grow the NFL back in the 1940s and the nostalgia behind it and, and the tradition and everything else. And I'm when it comes to stuff like that, I normally lean on the side of of tradition and history. But when the Lions have been this bad for so they made they've played in one NFC championship game, it was like thirty years ago. They're one of the oldest franchises in the sport. They've never played in a Super Bowl. They haven't won a playoff game in over thirty years. It's just I mean, in over sixty years, bump then. I mean it's it it comes it get in there you know they're not good they're not they're never outside of a couple of seasons where they've had Barry Sanders and Kevin Johnson they're not entertaining the watch they're dull 
They're boring. They are, they're off, they are often not a good football team. When they go up against good football teams on Thanksgiving, they often get stomped a la the Thanksgiving where Peyton Manning threw six touchdowns in a, you know, in a game, I believe, that was back in 04, if I'm not mistaken. So it's just, why, why bother? You know, why keep the long tradition of putting, of putting the, the Lions on Thanksgiving? You know, and, I, and I typically lean on the side of tradition, but it's, it's time for a change. It's, you get you 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 got to have that twelve thirty window. You know, have it rotate where they, you get two new teams playing that twelve thirty game. You know, every single year because getting to the point where it's just mundane, boring, and it's just a waste of time. Especially when they when they go up against you know when they go up against drad opponents such as the Chicago. You know, the 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 Chicago Bear Detroit Lion historical significant piece with the Thanksgiving Day holiday and. And the old and the and one of the oldest rivalries in the NFC North and in all of the NFL, that is it, it, the historical significance of it, it. It's run its course. It's it's played out, done to death. It's it's beaten a dead horse. It's it's played out at this point. You know, nobody in America really, especially when both of the teams are not that good. Nobody in America cares about Bears Lions, especially on Thanksgiving ad infinitum. I mean, they played each other about a dozen times throughout the. Throughout the 80 plus years that they've been playing on Thanksgiving, they've played each other very recently. Very recently, in regard to the last five years or so, I mean, done to death with the Bears and the Lions. And I'm sick. I'm sick of that matchup too. With Bears and Lions on Thanksgiving. I mean, how many times are going to have to keep on going through this? You know, and the Bears aren't exactly like I said in the previous segment. Appointment television to watch as far as. You know, nationally televised NFL games. It's just enough. And if you are going to make the argument, well, we have, you know, got to give the Detroit has nothing. They're bad. So we have to give them this game. Here's what I would propose. Okay. Detroit plays a game. If you're going to keep Detroit on Thanksgiving, you have to make sure that every opponent that they play, every opponent that they play, is a play, you find a playoff team on their schedule when the schedule comes out in April and May you give you find them a team you find them an opponent that was a playoff team from the previous season now I understand that technically it still finds a loophole to give us the Bears because the Bears made the playoffs last year but the Bears only made the playoffs last year because they went on a they went on a uh, a uh, a fraudulent little hot streak late in the season last year and the Arizona Cardinals collapse and the Bears have to be the beneficiary of it being the first year with the extra playoff team. And other previous seasons, the Chicago Bears wouldn't have made the playoffs and deservedly so. So I, I get that, but still, you, you got to find me a team you know the the Ravens and Lions wouldn't have been a bad thanks wouldn't have been a bad Thanksgiving matchup. It, it would have been terrible. You could see Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore Ravens would would have been nice. Would have been nice. Now the storylines for Bears Lions is a little intriguing because you know is Matt Nagy because you wonder if Matt Nagy's job is at stake and also you watch the Lions just to see them get their first win of the season. But other than that, why would you watch this game? Twelve. It starts at twelve thirty. 
Odds, you know, your Thanksgiving festivities, odds are, do not start that early. The earliest they start is like maybe 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They don't start that early. So if you're hosting, you are preparing to, you're preparing for your company to come over. So you're not, ex you're not exactly glued in front of the, glued in front of the TV for three hours. Or if you're going over somebody's house, you're getting, you know, you're getting and preparing, getting ready to leave the house to go to your, to go to your, uh, thanks, you, you know, to go to your Thanksgiving dinner. And also, you know, 1230 East Coast, that's 930 a.m. on the West Coast. And who in the world is going to get up on a on a on a holiday at the beginning of a long of a long extended weekend to watch the deep to watch the Detroit Lions play football. So it's just I mean, uh, I mean, I, 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 you know, when when all when if you're into that, you can watch you can watch the parade at that point in time. I just, you know, you got to get them off of Thanksgiving. If you're going to keep them on Thanksgiving, you got you got to make sure that they go up against top tier talent, and so you at least, you know, get yourself one decent team to watch throughout the holiday. But I think you should just get rid of the Lions altogether and make sure that all six of the. I have no problem with the Cowboys being on it because the Cowboys, I'll be. I don't like it, but they are quote unquote America's team. They're one of the more polarizing slash popular teams in American sports, um, you know, you either, you either love them or you hate them, uh, the, with the star and the uniforms and the cheerleaders and the stadium and everything else, so I have no problem with the Cowboys being on Thanksgiving, me personally, and I'll beat the Cowboys haven't won a championship in quite some, now they've won championships in the past, unlike Detroit has, um, but they, you know, they got the historical significance of the of the of what once was, at least in my eyes, a successful franchise, and they are a competitive, watchable, entertaining team to watch uh, more times than not on a year in year out basis. So I don't mind the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. My only issue is when they put the Cowboys on on Thanksgiving is that they give them garbage. Is that they give them, you know. Garbage opponents, a la the Raiders this year. Now you now back in September and October, you would have thought, oh, Raiders and Cowboys, that's going to be a hell of a game. No, thank you. Uh, it didn't end up being that way because the Raiders, of course, with their patent with their patented late season collapse. But uh, you know, I have no issue with the Cowboys being on Thanksgiving. Just make sure that they go up against that they go up against uh, top tier, you know, top tier quality good football teams. Like for instance. If you uh, let's let's just go through the Cowboys. Let's just go through the Cowboys schedule and see you know a home team, a home game that they play that that meet that would make a good thanks that would make a good Thanksgiving uh, that would make a good Thanksgiving game. For ex for example, Arizona. They play Ari They've yet to play Arizona. They play Arizona week seventeen at home on uh, the, on January second. Arizona Cardinals and the Cowboys on Thanksgiving would have been a, would would you know would be a hell of a game. Now it would probably be a hell of a game in early January compared to late November, but it'd be a hell of a game to watch on Thanksgiving. That you know stuff like that. You know a team that uh, either a playoff team from a pre from the previous season or a highly anticipated, highly favorited team that the, uh, a highly anticipated playoff team or a team that's highly favored to make the playoffs heading into the previous season that should be the criteria you know for 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 the five playoff teams and have the and have the Dallas Cowboys stick unless they go through a stretch where they're just abysmal and then you take that away from them too 
That, that's just me. And I think, me personally, that the night game should go to the Super Bowl champion. Super Bowl champion gets to open up the season with a home game, the kickoff game that Thursday night, and they get the added bonus of playing on Thanksgiving. So I'd have the Super Bowl champion from the previous season, a la the Bucks, play on Thanksgiving night, and I'd make sure that the other four teams are playoff teams from the previous season or highly anticipated playoff teams heading into 2021. Also, like the Chargers, the Chargers, the Cardinals, the, uh, the, the Chargers, the Cardinals, the Rams, the Ravens, Browns, Steelers, Bengals, uh, Packers, uh, Titans, Colts, teams of that, teams of that stature. And it's funny. I get. I guarantee you, if the NFL were, if the NFL were to call up the, were to call up the Lions after the game today, and tell them, hey, if you guys don't get yourselves in order in the next couple of years, we're taking the Thanksgiving game away from you. I guarantee. I guarantee you. I, I bet you things start changing in Detroit because the Lions, because the because this also probably adds to the the self inflicted to the Lions as well is that they realize no matter how bad they are. They're always, every single NFL season, every single year, every single time we have an NFL season, they know heading into it, no matter how bad the team's going to be, that they're guaranteed at least one national, national TV spotlight game a year by playing on Thanksgiving. So they're like, hey, we, we, we along, with, along with the, so why do we have to go out of our way of being good every single year to play on the Sunday night, to play on Monday Night Football, to play in playoff games where we're guaranteed one nationally televised game a year by playing on Thanksgiving? So why bother go out there and give ourselves a, a productive product to get that added revenue of being on national television when we play on it already on being on Thanksgiving every single year? The NFL, I guarantee you, if the NFL either threatens or takes away that game outright from Detroit, I guarantee you, you'll see things change. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. Well, I'll say that with a fair contradiction. They either threaten to take that game away or they take it away altogether outright, no questions asked. I guarantee you things start to change in Detroit. So you can say, oh, we got to put together a, a good product on the field so the NFL will put us back on Thanksgiving again. I guarantee you that I guarantee that will be the case. I bet you. I bet you. And, you know, the NBA, the way NBA owns Christmas, the NBA doesn't have a team, you know, tradition where they must play on Christmas every single year. No, the NBA puts, the NBA, uh, puts teams to play on Christmas that, that, that are either expected to do well heading into the current season that they're already in or, 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 the, or they put a team to play on Christmas that played in the postseason, you know, months prior back in the spring. You know, the Heat, the Lakers, the Nets, te- teams of that nature. Playoff teams or teams expected to be in the playoffs heading into that season. They they put they put them on that spotlight of Christmas because they because they want to give their fan base the best product on a holiday that they essentially now the now the NFL kind of butts in a little bit but a holiday that's dominated for the most part by that one sport such as the NBA on Christmas. 
So they make sure that they give their fan base and give the sports fan the best product that they possibly can give them. And the NFL needs to take that page. It's funny, I'm saying that the NFL needs to take a page out of another league's book. They need to take, they need to take that page out of the NBA's book. Of, of, of making sure that they, that, they get, that they get marquee matchups and top-tier opponents every single Thanksgiving for America to watch. Because you know, outside of one college football game or two and a, couple of those, and a couple of those invitational college basketball tournaments, the NFL's got Thanksgiving all to itself. No NBA, no NHL, they got it all to themselves. So why not just take advantage of that by, by giving America, you know, quality football? I understand you don't want to necessarily put all your best matchups on Thanksgiving, so in turn you have nothing to lean back on, you know, for your upcoming Sunday or your, and your Monday night, but you got to give us a little something. Like for, like for a perfect example... The NFL has Titans and Patriots and Steelers and Bengals going on at the same time. You, 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 can't, you can't kick the Lions and the Bears to the side and put you know, Steelers-Bengals on Thanksgiving or Titans-Patriots on Thanksgiving. So, and uh, what's the, I think the 4 o'clock game, let me see what the 4, I believe the 4 o'clock game this weekend is is uh, Rams and Packers. So you know, figure it out. You figure you know you figure it out. You figure it out. Seahawks and Washington, two playoff teams from last year that both won their division. They aren't great this year, but I I I could live with live with Seahawks and Washington on 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 uh, Thanksgiving Day. Could live with it. Wouldn't love it. Because of how they've played, because their season's gone to crap this year, but I could live with it. But the two games to really keep an eye on with the Raiders and the Cowboys. Raiders, you know, they got to find a way to save their season. They're at five and five. They're two and two outside of Vegas. They got to basically keep the pressure on the Cowboys, who have lost two out of their last three games. Offense has got to show up. They got to somehow find a way to, to find. That big play with no Henry Ruggs, something that's eluded them essentially since uh, since Ruggs has got arrested with the DUI. They got to be able to run the football with Josh Jacobs and uh, and get and get after the quarterback uh, and take a page out of Kansas City's book. Uh, rush Dak Prescott to make to make uh, to make the to make the Aaron throw to to have him force feed the ball downfield to his receivers that to the to his depleted receiving core. No Amari Cooper with COVID and no C. Lamb with the concussion. Got to find a way to make Prescott's life a living hell and and put him in a situation where he's throwing the ball 30, 40, 50 plus times a game. Now, the game plan from a Dallas perspective is to take the ball out of Dak Prescott's hands because of the lack of wide receiving options heading into today's game. Essentially take a page out of the Bengals book when they play the Raiders on Sunday. And that's basically not have not have your quarterback play hero ball, in this case Dak Prescott, and take advantage of your top tier all pro pro bowl worthy running back in Ezekiel Elliott that you're paying all this money and have him go out there and just hunt. So if you're the Raiders, you take a page out of Kansas City's playbook by 
pressuring Dak Prescott and forcing him to uh, to make the to make the force and Aaron throw deep downfield, trying to make something happen, having you know forcing him to play hero ball with him throwing the ball forty plus times in a game from a Raider perspective, and then from the Dallas Cowboy perspective, you take a page out of the Bengals book by saying, hey. We're not going to have Dak Prescott. When Dak Prescott has to make the plays, he'll make them. But Zeke, the offense is going to, you, you are the catalyst to our offense today. The offense runs through you. We're going to give you the ball 20-plus times in this game, and you just go out there and you milk that clock, make sure that we win time of possession, wear their defense out, and just and we'll run the ball down their freaking throat like Mixon did to, like Mixon did to him back on Sunday. So hopefully... Basashia and the Raiders, t- uh, you know, took some notes from what the Chiefs did on Sunday to Dallas, and hopefully uh, Mike McCarthy and company took a page out of the took a page out of Zach Taylor's book and do their best to replicate what the Bengals did to the Raiders on Sunday afternoon. They do, they do, you know, it it, it all depends. You know, it's a copycat, it's a copycat, uh, it's a copycat league. We'll see if uh, if both coaching staffs got themselves prepared and sp- and paid extra attention to the film uh, and 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 took and took a little page out of the uh, Chiefs' defensive playbook and the Bengals' offensive de- defensive playbook from a Dallas Cowboy perspective. And then from the night game with the Buffalo and the Saints, you know, Buff. I expect Buffalo to win this game. No Alvin Kamara with a knee injury. Ter- Trevor Simeon, of course. You know, any, not anything to uh, write home about. From a Buffalo Bills standpoint, this is a game that you have to have just, just to reset your confidence and to get yourselves off on the right foot again. And if all Buffalo has to do is just play smart football, Josh Allen not play hero ball, not turn the football over, let the game come to them, and everything should be okay. Have their deep, a nice little reset game for the defense to get their confidence. This is, this is a perfect confidence game for the Buffalo Bills. Hold the, you know... Hold, you know, don't let Mark Ingram take over the football game. Let Trevor Simeon be Trevor Simeon. Reset your confidence. Keep the Saints to below 17 points. Let the game come to you. Be patient. Don't force the issue, Josh Allen. And this game should have, you know, be 35-17, 35-13, 35-10 Buffalo. You know, before you know it, this this is a game that Buffalo has to have, but I don't expect Buffalo to win to lose this game because this this is a this is the ultimate reset, deep breath makes makes you feel good type of comfort game that the Buffalo Bills desperately need. And from the Saints, see if you can keep the pressure on Buffalo and uh, and force Josh Allen to make those mistakes. Force them not to be able to run the football. You know, force force Josh Allen to have the ball in his hands ninety five percent of the time. Keep them and put them in a situation where they where if they wanted to, they can't run the football playing from a deficit and limit the mistakes with Trevor Simeon. And you do that, you know, maybe you'll have an upset on your hands. Sean Payton, by the way, is also undefeated on Thanksgiving, which I found which I found to be um, which I found to be quite. Uh, intriguing. Two games, Thanksgiving picks in the league where they play for pay. Raiders and Cowboys. Cowboys favorite minus seven and a half. They're four and one at home, seven and three on the season. Raiders are five and five, two and two away from Allegiant Stadium. Give it to Dallas Cowboys to win this game by the final score. 
of 28 to 13. And you have in the night game the Buffalo Bills going up against the New Orleans Saints. The Buffalo Bills on as out excuse me. They're six and four in the season, three and two away from Orchard Park. The Saints are two and two, five and five on the year. Give me the Buffalo Bills to win this game in a route by the final score of 35 to 10. They are favored minus seven points. So uh, there you have it, your Thanksgiving games. Not great, but, uh, you know, do it with do with those Thanksgiving games if you please. Fantasy, bet it, whatever. You know, find a team to root for because of division interest with your own favorite team that doesn't play on Thanksgiving and have at it. Um, hope you guys have a safe and a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. Spend it, and especially if you're having, you know, your normal Thanksgiving again, really appreciate it because you didn't have this last year. Uh, so really just take the time to appreciate your friends and family and loved ones and the things in your life that you are thankful for. It's your boy, Jay Shields. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Jay Shield. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Yamatelica TIS podcast. I will talk to you later this week. Have a happy Thanksgiving, everybody. See you.